Welcome to the Perspectivalist. Our agenda is to offer a perspective of the world that allows you to think more clearly as a Christian. We want the normativity of scriptures to be the starting point of everything we do. Thanks for joining the conversation. This is episode 10, and I'm your host, Yuri Brito. You know, biblical interpretation is not the kind of thing that uh, circulates dinner tables, though it should. How we interpret a text is crucial to grasping the motivation and disposition of the interpreter. What is his framework? How he is organizing his theological outline? These things sort of reveal quite a bit. Now the stakes are even higher when it comes to biblical interpretation, what we call hermeneutics. And the last 40 years, I'd say, have seen a tremendous revival of hermeneutical studies with people like Kevin Van Hooser, his uh, theological interpretation of the Old Testament, uh, G.K. Beale's work on biblical and temple theology have been revolutionary, incredibly helpful to me over the years. Of course, you can go back even further to Goldsworthy's uh, biblical theology and a host of other resources. Now, where, where do I come into the picture here? Well, I don't. I am insignificant in this prestigious history of interpreters who taught and teach at well-known seminaries, have published massive tomes on biblical interpretations. I come into the background of the picture because of my association with a few fairly dangerous figures in my life. I want to talk about just one of them in this episode, and namely James B. Jordan. Now, these are meant to be brief episodes, so I'm just introducing Jim Jordan to my public. I've done a few podcasts, and I've been interviewed on this topic a few times for your reference, if you'd like to just go on YouTube and different podcasts to find some additional thoughts. In fact, I may do a couple more of these if there's interest. But whether I attend or speak at a conference or a church I preach at, inevitably, uh, folks have heard a podcast of me talking about James Jordan. And once they found out that he attended our congregation in Pensacola, uh, they want to know as many details as possible. It's a very fun part of being me. So people ask me all the time, don't you want a little taste of glory? See what it tastes like. And I respond, I don't need any glory. I have been around glorious figures who make biblical interpretation glorious. And part of what Jim Jordan brings to the table that I think is glorious is a lifelong commitment to sola scriptura. Not only in its sort of broad reformational category, but Jim Jordan is, to borrow John Frame's language, a true biblicist. And I know that that term biblicist is sort of used in a derogatory fashion, but I kind of embrace it wholeheartedly. In fact, I've wrote an essay about this I may put in the the notes. Jim Jordan, who is still alive and kicking, by the way, in Texas in his old age, Jim Jordan bleeds biblical theology. When I sat down with him in the early years, it was like I was receiving an entirely new personalized seminary education. In some ways, uh, spending the three years I did with Jim was like Seminary 2.0. The fact that he doesn't simply repeat old slogans and the sheer fact that he's so self-aware of the biblical language makes him, in my estimation, the interpretive reformer of the day. Now, there are a lot of friends that I have who have known Jim for much longer and are greater expositors of Jim Jordan, and I think you all know these names for any of you who 
know of my connections. But my desire is sort of a popularizer of what Jim has done in much of his works. And in some ways, a lot of what I do as a pastor, as an interpreter, as a writer, is to take Jim's book, which I encourage you to take if you haven't, through new eyes, and apply that to your biblical interpretation. That book offers a profoundly rich theology of symbols, a theology which, if you embrace, I think is going to make your biblical studies not only fascinating, but it is going to enliven your reading of the scriptures, not just once, but again and again and again. You're going to find connections that affirm the wonderful oneness of biblical revelation. One of the languages that has been attached to Jim's hermeneutic is this called interpretive maximalism, which I just call IMAX. And he has an article on this, which I will link. I encourage you to read. It's called, What is Interpretive Maximalism? And it was written in 1990. And in that article, Jordan affirms that his hermeneutic is not so much unique, but it certainly does contrast itself with what he refers to as interpretive minimalism. And it was someone who knew him well in the days of Tyler, Texas, by the name of David Shilton, who wrote a really great commentary in Revelation. He applied very directly the rich nature of interpretive maximalism to the account of the Apostle John in Revelation. Now, Jordan himself had already given a clear example of that hermeneutic in his commentary on Judges, which I encourage you to pick up if you have anything to do with teaching or preaching or studying the book of Judges. And it is in in that commentary, in the prelude to the commentary, where I first heard Jim contrasting his approach, IMAX, to modern evangelical approaches to biblical interpretation. And this is what he wrote. I'm going to read it in totality. It's a paragraph, so bear with me, but I think it's very crucial to grasp. He writes, we have to explain this. That's He's referring to the business about types and prophecies. We have to explain this in order to distance ourselves from the interpretive minimalism that has come to characterize evangelical commentaries on scripture in recent years. We don't need some specific New Testament verse to, quote, prove, close quote, that a given Old Testament story has symbolic dimensions. Rather, Such symbolic dimensions, Jim writes, are presupposed in the very fact that man is the image of God. Thus, we ought not to be afraid to hazard a guess at the wider prophetic meanings of scripture narratives as we consider how they image the ways of God. Such a, quote, maximalist, close quote, approach as this puts us more in line with the kind of interpretation used by the church fathers. Now, I had a chance to visit Jim recently in Texas and got a hold of his uh, famous Bible. And I remember uh, perusing through it, and there were lots of notes that he took in his Bible that he used when he taught a class in Pennsylvania, of which Cornelius Van Til and other notable names were present. And these men affirmed that what Jim was doing truly had historical roots that do go back to the church fathers and is taught by many others. What Jim is doing is not something completely new, but he has certainly put in a very concrete fashion in his book, Through New Eyes, his commentary on judges, 
his commentary on the book of Daniel and others of his works, he has put that biblical interpretation in a manner that is popularized. In fact, you may know that the commentaries I published with Rich Lusk on Ruth and Jonah is part of a larger commentary series that drew its name from Jim's book, Through New Eyes, and the series is called Through New Eyes. And these commentaries, of which I contribute, and Lusk, and Lightheart, and others contribute, have their roots in Jim's hermeneutic, and you can see it apply to various books of the Bible. So part of James Jordan's controversial hermeneutic is really ultimately an attempt to affirm the inherent beauty of the Old Testament narrative without depending on some New Testament affirmation. In other words, Jim argues that symbolism and typology is presupposed in the Old Testament passage because we are image bearers and God himself creates a world with inherent patterns that human beings imitate. Jim writes that interpretive maximalism offers a richer Old Testament narrative by allowing us to see Christ in every detail of the text. That is, Christ is there in Genesis, he's there in the Levitical laws, he's there in the feasts of Israel, he's there in Boaz, he's there in Jephthah, he's there in Job, he's there in the prophets, and on and on and on. The typological images of the Old Testament offer a fuller and more robust picture of the incarnated Christ revealed in the New Testament, as he is revealed in the pages of the pre-AD 70 world. Jordan doesn't condemn the famous grammatical historical interpretation. It is a valid interpretation, but he believes that that interpretation or that interpretive grid is incomplete without the aid of a rich biblical theology. And this was part of what makes Jim Jordan so unique in comparison to evangelical, to modern evangelical interpreters. Uh, an example of this is, for instance, I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark now in this Epiphany season, and as you approach Mark chapter 8, Jesus has a scene where he's feeding the 4,000. And particular examples that Mark uses are of the people being with Jesus for three days. He also refers to the loaves of bread as seven, seven loaves. And he speaks of the Eucharistic nature of the meal. And he refers to the 4,000. Now, if you apply a strict grammatical historical interpretation, you're going to simply assume that these things are given in the text for no particular reason. They're there simply as a matter of fact. But Jim would argue against that. He would argue that the Spirit doesn't waste his breath, and these details, these numerical details, I might say, are not simply there to decorate the text, but they're there to explain something deeper about the nature of three days, which is a nature of death and resurrection, about the nature of the seven loaves, which indicates this new creation, this completeness. There's more than first meets the eye. And uh, Jim writes about this in one of his essays in 1988 when he says that, I think that those who take this kind of typology seriously are the only people doing justice to the biblical theological dimension of interpretation. I believe, he writes, that the grammatical historical methods of interpretation need to be, and here's the key, complemented by biblical theological considerations, and that is what I have sought to do in my own work. So that is interpretive maximalism. James Jordan uses that term 
as a way of communicating that the Bible reader can gain more from the pages of Scripture than they can ever imagine, that the Bible is given to us by the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit does not put details in the text in vain. He doesn't waste his breath. That is, the Spirit's inspired data is not given simply to fill in empty space, but to provide a fuller and more beautiful portrait of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the gospel that is given to us in His Holy Word. I am Yuri Brito, and may the Lord be with you.